Welcome to Healthcare Highwire, where we balance business with healthcare. Sandy has served as Director of Clinical Operations, Clinical Compliance Specialist, and Director of Nursing Services. She joined LCS in 2013, where she is the Director of Clinical Services for our life plan communities. Today's host, Sandy Toole. Jennifer is the ANCC Accredited Provider Program Director and Mock Surveyor in the Health Services Division at LCS. She oversees the Life Care Services Accredited Provider Unit, which plans, develops, and executes ANCC Accredited Nursing Continuing Professional Development Education. Today's speaker, Jennifer Williams-Land. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Health Services Division podcast series. And today, we're going to discuss the new Phase 3 Requirements of Participation. I am Sandy Toole, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jennifer Williams-Land. Just as a reminder, Phase 3 went into effect in 2019 with no surveyor interpretive guidelines. Then, on June 29th of this year, CMS released the surveyor guidance, which will begin on October 24, 2022, this year, just right around the corner. So our goal is to help you understand each of those changes and how you can best be prepared to meet them. Each podcast will showcase one of the changes taking place, and today we're going to talk about admission, transfer, and discharges. Hello, Jennifer, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, Sandy. It's great to be back with you and with the listeners, and uh, just to be here to help everyone who may have questions about the Phase 3 ROP changes. Um, together, we're going to work through each area and have a better understanding and preparation for that uh, October 24th. 2022 deadline. Well, that sounds really good, Jen. Can you just maybe recap for our listeners what they can expect from this new series? Absolutely. Um, Each podcast covers one of the 14 areas with phase three changes. We are going to utilize information uh, provided to us from CMS, ACA, and Leading Age. And as always, we reference the State Operations Manual Appendix PP to provide for you the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do their surveys. I would advise that you download the SOM and follow along so that you get the most complete information. Well, that sounds like perfect advice to me. So let's get into this. Today, as we said, we're going to discuss admission, transfer, and discharge changes, and that includes those tags under F622, F623, and F-626. Well, hopefully we're not going to see too many changes here, but Jen, can you give us your best explanation? Yes. F-622 covers transfer and discharge requirements. The tag states that the facility must permit each resident to remain in the facility and not transfer or discharge the resident unless it is necessary and appropriate, and if it would not be consistent with the health and safety of other residents, the resident fails to pay, or the facility ceases to operate. The tag now includes clarification for specific situations involving transfers and discharges. In the instance where a resident has admitted for short-term rehab under Medicare, but they voice that they are not yet ready to discharge at the completion of rehabilitation, the facility might initiate a discharge, and that would be considered a facility-initiated discharge and the requirements for that discharge applies to ensure the discharge does not violate the regulations. 
F-623 covers the notice requirements before transfer and discharge. F-623 states that the facility must notify the resident prior to transfer or discharge the reasons for the move in writing and in a language that's understood by the resident or their representative. It needs to record the reason um, in the medical record and include in that documentation the reason, the effective date, location for transfer or discharge, appeal rights, and the ombudsman information. If there are changes to the notice prior to the transfer, those changes also need to be relayed as soon as possible. Notice should be provided at least 30 days in advance. F-626 refers to allowing residents to return following a hospitalization or therapeutic leave. Well, I love those explanations, Jen. Um, but put your old surveyor hat back on and tell us just how, what will the surveyors do to, to review this during survey visits? Okay, so let's cover some guidance here. We'll start with F-622. So for that tag, the new guidance encourages surveyors to investigate whether or not the resident was discharged due to payment source discrimination. Even if it does not appear that the resident objected or appealed the decision, the surveyor must make sure that the discharge was not facility-initiated. The guidance states that facilities should offer other means for a resident to stay in the facility and receive rehabilitation, if necessary, through the option to pay privately or assist the resident to apply for Medicaid. The facility would be responsible for ensuring that the resident understands that if the application for Medicaid is denied, the resident will be responsible for payment for all days not covered by Medicare. If the resident is eligible for Medicaid, but the facility does not have a Medicaid bed, the resident will be assisted with discharging to another facility that does have an available bed. The resident cannot be discharged for non-payment while waiting to learn their eligibility status. The surveyors will check on the facility Medicare and Medicaid certification status to determine the justification of discharge. One more point of clarification for F-622 was for transfers. A transfer to an acute care facility for an emergency is a facility-initiated transfer and not a discharge. The facility cannot initiate a discharge for the resident going to acute care unless the resident's status at the time of the return, not the status at the time of transfer, meets 48315CI. The resident has the right to return to the facility unless to do so poses a danger to the health and safety of others. The danger must be documented. Residents undergoing routine treatments and so on should be allowed to return. The new guidance also provides examples that shows how an improper discharge could result in psychosocial and or physical harm. CMS added on F623 the guidance that the facility must inform the resident of the specific location to which the resident is moving. This should include the name of the new provider or description and address of the new location. CMS also added language to clarify if there are changes to the transfer that the resident would be informed because additional appeal rights might exist. F-626 has undergone several changes. First, the intent was updated to permit a resident to return to the facility after a hospitalization or therapeutic leave. If the facility does not allow the resident to return, it is then a facility-initiated discharge. Residents should be permitted to return regardless of payer source. 
The other change has to do with surveyor investigations and making sure that they investigate where a facility does not allow a resident to return. They have even added a level three deficiency categorization to show that harm could occur to the resident if not allowed to return. And there is also language to address discharges related to AMAs or against medical advice. Jen, these are great explanations, and I really appreciate the way you make it so easy to understand what the rules are trying to say. I think these changes are really quite reasonable and necessary. So, you know, I'm trying to think when an individual goes to the hospital, it seems that they should have every right to believe that they will be allowed to return to the facility, especially if they live there, you know, um, if it's their home. So, you know, the one thing I think you pointed out that is a new guideline is the one that, that if we discharge someone and they are discharging on their own against medical advice or, as you put it, AMA. So I think what I hear you saying is that surveyors will be looking to make sure that that individual was not somehow pressured or coerced into leaving which again, I think, you know, they're going to probably be digging into our documentation a bit um, to find that. So Jen, how can we help communities get into compliance with these revisions? Well, we have new guidance forms with action item checklists for each of the new areas. So for instance, for admission, transfer, and discharge, the following action items uh, can assist you in survey readiness. What you'll find on that checklist are that you need to examine existing policy or processes on your transfer and discharge requirements to ensure that the facility addresses what to do when a resident has finished skilled services but is not ready to leave. Address the facility's responsibility to the resident when Medicare coverage ends and address acute care transfers and those returns back to the facility. Evaluate facilities' um, current discharge transfer notice policy and or processes to ensure that it includes the new components, which are specific location to which the resident is being transferred or discharged. And that basically is the name of the new provider or description and address if the location is a residence, as well as providing a new notice when transfer discharge destinations change. Examine and update as needed your current bed hold policies to ensure that they cover the component for all residents, regardless of payment source, to return after hospitalization or therapeutic leave unless the resident meets one of the discharge requirements for not permitting a resident to return. Examine how the facility determines it is unable to meet resident needs when deciding not to allow residents to return to a facility and ensure these determinations are appropriate based on the regulation and ensure documentation coincides with the requirements. And it was like you were saying just a second ago uh, that we want to make sure they're not coerced. That was the word that was sticking in my head. And then you said it. And I thought, yes, they want to dig and make sure that we truly did do everything to make sure they could stay in our facilities and not be, you know, subject to some coercion to to move. As we stated, or I'm sorry. No, I, I agree with you. I think that's okay. very well stated. Oh, thank you. So as we stated earlier, We're here to provide the listeners the most up-to-date information and provide tools to assist. And um, the guidance forms with the action item checklist will get you ready prior to that deadline on October 24th. 
Well, once again, just some really great information presented here and a really good start to understand those changes with admission transfers and discharges. As we mentioned earlier, if we learn more and if CMS makes additional changes in the regulations, we will, of course, continue to provide that information through uh, these podcasts and, of course, through our email reminders. So want to just thank you all for joining us again today for the continuing series of podcasts outlining the changes and guidance for the phase three requirements of participation. I hope you're finding the discussion to be beneficial and I really hope you'll join us next time as we continue our discussion. Um, thank you so much, Jen, for joining me and I look forward to our next discussion. I do too. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you all again, and this is Sandy Toole and Jennifer Williams-Lamb signing off. I hope you join us again next time on Healthcare Highwire.